everybody. It's Shoppery Bird here with Quantum Agriculture, and I am sitting with Marlene and Cliff Bottenfield of Tumbling Creek Farm here in, where are we? Nevada City, Nevada California. City, California, and they have hosted us for the most wonderful workshop, beautiful farm, so welcome. Welcome, Cliff and Marlene. Thank you. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and... So introduce yourselves. Tell us about yourselves and how did you get into farming and what do you farm? Well, okay. Um, this is Marlene and we bought our property in 2008, the very end of the year. Um, but we didn't move onto the property full time until 2012. However, when we did get the property, we made a deal with nature and with God and said that if we are able to buy the property, then we will do everything we can to help it heal and um, teach people how to care for land mm -hmm. um, because we felt that was a real important um, issue. And we were very fortunate. We were bidding against three other um, people and we got the property so since that time we've been committed to what year was that that was the end of 2008 oh, wow. Soon. Recent. Yes. <laughs> yes and i guess before we owned the property um we did a lot of gardening but and did sell some things um organically but um it was just small gardening uh, I was a high school counselor and Cliff worked in environmental health and so we've been doing a lot of learning um, and a lot of finding things out by talking with nature as to what it would like us to do. Uh, I don't think either one of us realized it but when we bought the property but we are now growing mushrooms both organically and biodynamically. Um, and about 90% of our crop is with mushroom production. And the rest is just farm. And how many acres do you have? We have 38 acres total for our property, but we only farm uh, about an acre. Two and per and yeah, and so I'm not going to keep talking there. That's all right. No, no, as long as you want, sweetie, something. we take all the time we want for this. We're <laughs> <laughs> doing, doing good. So what what do you see in the future, like 10 years down the road for the farm? Well, we're really fortunate because um, we have four children, and we asked each one of them if they would like to join us in farming, and... Our daughter and her husband and their kids have decided to move on to the property with us and they're going to help us both expand the farm and they'll be taking it over. So it's real exciting to watch our kids and grandkids get involved with... I don't know if you realize how lucky you are. Oh, we do. We totally do. Most people, farmers that we've met to the world, their children are not interested. You know, you're very lucky. And such a great group, I have to say. I've just spent the weekend <laughs> with those beautiful kids, and I almost kidnapped them. <laughs> we want to stop you. Yeah. 
take him for a week, two months, whatever. <laughs> take him back to Georgia, you know. <laughs> the name of their farm is Tumbling Creek Farm, and they're in Nevada City, California, which is the most gorgeous farm. I walked it last night. Wild turkeys, bear, beautiful mountain lions hanging out someplace. And you guys got a lot of great infrastructure, too. We put it all in ourselves. Did you really? Yeah. Every single building and shed you put in? No, the modular was there and the shop was there, but all the other buildings yes. were built. Wow, well done. The fencing and irrigation system. Well, because one of the questions when I told people in Australia coming here, I said, I'm real curious to see how people grow mushrooms without water. <laughs> I mean, this is Northern California after all. Yeah. So tell us about your mushroom organ operation. Oh, well, we have an old modular on our property that was there when we bought the property. And originally we tried to rent it out to human beings um, and ended up with punched in walls and doors taken down. And we thought, you know, these guys aren't very good renters. So we decided to try growing mushrooms, pretty much just for fun for us. And we started with shiitakes on logs, and then I thought, what the heck, let's try something else too. And so we started doing oyster mushrooms, added that to it, and they pretty much ended up being much better renters in the modular than human beings, because they always produce and they pay rent. Um, they have not taken any walls down or doors down, and we haven't got any holes punched by them, so that's plus two. Um, and how many varieties of mushrooms are you growing now? We have five different varieties of oyster, shiitake, several shiitake, um, lion's mane, and reishi. Oh, you grow reishi? I didn't have any of the reishi. No, um, right now it's not producing. Yeah. So um, we'll go through another cycle and have more production. But reishi is not one that you actually eat, but you make a tea or yes, tincture. Yes, I'm aware. Yeah. Or dry them and grind them into powder. Yes. 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 Yeah. So it's a fire taste. Oh, I love it. Ooh. Finding the first time I found my first wild reishi, I mean, I was jumping up and down celebrating. And oddly enough, it was in Murphy, North Dakota. Carolina on a piece of ground that was like two feet square with a tree next to the local theater. Oh my goodness. And I looked down, there's a reishi. And I'd been for two years out walking looking for a wild reishi. And there it was in this little town. Well, <laughs> we actually we have wild reishi and wild lion's mane. It grows on our property. Wow. Also, so it's yeah. And, and boletes? Because does boletes, I would think wild boletes would be quite. Yes. Yeah, have some those also. Yep, with all that with all that conifer forest, because that's where I found most of my boletes is under conifers. You know, we don't have enough to sell, but yep, enough to explore and enjoy. Oh, what I love is your quote coral mushrooms. Yes, is that a form of oyster? It's a type of oyster, and its real name is not coral. Its real name is either pink oyster or salmon oyster. And one of our customers walked by one day and said, you know, you can't be calling this salmon. It's too beautiful. And then she came back a little while later and said, coral. Oh, beautiful. Call this coral. That's how beautiful it is. And so we did. And yeah. it took over. Yeah. 
I mean, I watched as people came and you sold off bags of mushrooms. But what I love is your eight-year-old grandson standing up on the chair with his, how old is Ezra? Six? Four. 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 And those two are standing on the chair by the stove, carefully frying these mushrooms in butter. And I mean, they were paying full attention. I I couldn't believe it. They were so engaged, and they loved these mushrooms. Yes, yes. (laughs) Great picture. So what else do you grow? What's your turn? Mushroom. Okay. Well... The majority, of course, is mushrooms, but we also sell eggs. Another good crop for us is asparagus. And uh, though we don't sell the strawberries, blueberries, or blackberries, we eat a lot of it ourselves. So people come onto the property, they whatever they pick, we get half and they get half. So it's kind of... Oh, that's pepper. a great idea. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, bending down, yeah. sore backs. Just go, sure, pick as much as you want, just give us half and you got the rest. The old grannies back in North Georgia told me a great trick for picking blackberries. So you get those white cotton gloves, you know, gardener's gloves, mm-hmm. and just cut the little tip right off the fingertips of all your fingertips. And then what I developed was I wore a big strap with a bucket around mm-hmm. my... And then, but you see, you're not afraid of picking those wild thorned blackberries because you got those gloves on and you could just enough fingernips. Uh, Fingernail. Yeah, it works. It really does work. Uh-huh. But ours are thornless. Yeah, well, <laughs> wild thornless? No, uh-huh. no, no, no. But up in the garden, they're thornless. Yeah. But yeah. we do have lots of wild yeah. ones, too. Yeah. <laughs> the boys, all the little grandkids with all this juice, <laughs> oh, juice all over their face. Awesome. <laughs> totally awesome. So what's your biggest problem in growing? Biggest problem? I don't really consider anything a problem. A challenge, uh, let's challenge. say. Uh, both our root crops are really gophers. Yeah. And uh, uh, the biggest challenge is time. Time. Yeah. Yeah. I enough time to get everything done. That's one of the reasons we're really excited about Maria and Chris and kids being with us. Both Maria and Chris also work. Yes. So tell me, um, Cliff. What was your profession before? Uh, I always chose uh, field type jobs. And so you were an environmental scientist? Or? Uh, no, I started out uh, with a forestry degree, so the timber scaler, log scaler, really? surveyor. Really? Then I went back and got a degree in geology. Then I was a mine and exploration geologist for a while. What is exploration? Uh, you go out and you look for gold or silver or whatever. Really? Yeah. So you're exploring the final ore body. Really? And then... Uh, of course, where you are, there was a lot at one time. Yes. And then I decided to go back, take a few more college courses, like organic chemistry and microbiology. And then I took the exam to become a, what's called a registered environmental health specialist. Uh-huh. And then I worked for the county. So you were checking out for an... Environmental pollution from coal mines? No, I specialized in septic systems, wells, and land division. <laughs> but it was still filled. So that's, yeah. that's good. So transitioning into a, a farmer is yeah. just natural because it's just another field type yeah. profession. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it, it fits me. It does. 
Yeah, and what fits, I think what people think of farming as arduous, farmers get to choose their own schedule. Mm -hmm. They have to pick it wisely, though. <laughs> well, the animals true, so kind of dictate, too. Yes, and the heat. Yeah. And the heat, that's right. Mm -hmm. And the drought. Yes. yes. And the drought, so. But you guys, wells only 200 feet deep, is that correct? It's all good now, I forgot. The new one is 350. I know, but That's the old one is 255 or something yeah, like that yeah. and produces two and a half gallons a minute. It's nothing. I mean, uh, that's not very deep. I mean, you know, well, I'm able to do the house, the mushrooms, the sheep, the chickens, the garden, fruit trees, everything. Wow. Well, so, you guys have set up some amazing infrastructure in eight years. And we also catch rainwater. We capture about 30,000 gallons. We won't tell California. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because in Australia, everybody catches rainwater. Well, that's that the only way sense. you got any water. Yeah, you know? yeah. And um, so, you catch your own rainwater in tanks? Mm -hmm. Off the off the roofs? We capture 30,000 gallons by December. Off the roofs? Off the mm -hmm. roofs of Brilliant. the shop and the shed owner. Wow. We could capture another 60,000 if we hook up the house. Off your house, I would yeah. imagine. Because beautiful roofs. Yeah, so. You know, big container there. Totally. Yeah, that's the thing, you have to invest in these containers. Right. Yep. You know, in Australia, they have these wonderful containers that are like maybe this thick and maybe six feet wide, and they, they, they attach right onto the house. Huh. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, it almost becomes a part of the house. And, and you know, they're very creative with this in Australia. So you ought to look at water tanks and see other shapes. Yeah. In fact, I had to buy a special water tank to make our ecology activated. So, you know, you can find different shapes and sizes of water tanks. Yes. Um, with or without California sanctioning. <laughs> sanctioning. <laughs> um, so what else? So you sell asparagus, strawberries? Uh, we used to sell strawberries and blackberries, but we found out that just trading them. Just let them pick and what they have to keep out. Beautiful. Now, what do you do with your app? Oh, oh my goodness. Smoothies, jellies, syrups. Yeah, we make a lot of stuff. Yeah, you're quintessential homesteaders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. You can all your tomatoes, the tomato sauces, and, and uh, make lots of strawberry syrup and strawberry jam. Oh, yes. Blueberry and blackberry syrups. Do you sell those at your at the markets? Uh, we would have liked to, but there's a, a California law that requires that if you make your syrups at home, um, you have to use 60% sugar. Yep, as a and, preservative. Yes, and since we use almost no sweetener in our syrups and jams, it just it didn't work for us. Um, because we didn't want to add more sugar, we're really interested in encouraging people to use less sugar. Well, leading into, tell us about your harvest festival, I that ceremony. Oh, I'm sure. very fascinated by that. Sure, each fall we have a harvest festival that, um, and this was basically dictated to us by nature as to what it should entail. Um, we were told that people should um, in a, a heart filled with gratitude, grows those food. attending the festival. Those attending the festival should grow food, 
um, showing appreciation should then harvest the food, showing appreciation, and together prepare a meal um, with that same gratitude in their hearts. And um, there were some requirements, and one is that no food could be purchased from a store and no food could be purchased or um, could be used that you had to, any food you used had to be um, within a day's walk from where you live. So in our area, in Nevada City, we don't live anywhere near the ocean. And while we've heard that some Native Americans did have ways of harvesting salt, um, we don't know what those are, so there's no salt used in the foods, and the only sugar you can use is from wild plants, and so um, lots of people could be harvesting the drone or manzanita berries and making sugar that way. Um, last year was the first year that we actually did this celebration, and everybody was a little apprehensive that it was going to not taste very good. Um, about 20, 25 people showed up um, early, and most of the people went up into our garden and harvested together and then brought down their bounty to the house. And we, on the spur of the moment, figured out what we were going to be preparing with everything that was harvested. Yep. Um, and sat down worrying about how we were going to eat it because we knew it wasn't going to be that exciting and we were all blown away after we surprised that the food was really good. So it was <laughs> Did really you exciting. have any grains involved? Was there any wild grains? I don't know. No. No grains. So what was the menu? Oh my goodness. Um, well we grew mung beans so somebody made a mung bean type salad Ooh. or dish. Um, what did we pick? Uh, mushroom something, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, mushroom <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah, and there was salad and um, a friend of ours brought um, a Vitamix blender and a lot of persimmons and lemons from her garden. Wild persimmons? Or, or no, from her garden. Yep. And then we took some of our blueberries and um, she pureed the... Well, that was sweet. Those persimmons oh, are sweet. Goodness. And then decorated it beautifully with nasturtiums and blueberries. And Ooh. we didn't want to eat it. It looked so beautiful. <laughs> Though we just kept passing it around. Um, some friends of our had, ours have cows, so we were able to um, scrape the cream off the milk and make butter. Um, That's right, because you didn't have any oil source. Right. Except the butter you made. Brilliant. Yeah. And then other people... little twist on Thanksgiving. Yes, totally. <laughs> totally. Um, acorn rule. Yes. Well done. I've yeah. made acorn bread. You know, yeah. but you have to soak it. You may have to get those tannins out yes. of that. Yes. Yep. You know the way the Native Americans do it? When they're in the cities and they go in the parks and grow the... You get the acorns? They put them, you know, the tank behind the toilet. Uh -huh. They put them in mesh, but it's clean water. It has know, nothing to do <laughs> because it's constantly flushing. You need a lot of water. See, I have these water tanks on my property in Georgia that spring water comes through constantly. It's the overflow. And so I put the big mesh bags of acorns in there two or three days and it'd wash all the tannins out. Wow. You know, and then they would also split them open. Yeah. So, yeah, and then I put it through my, my um, you know, whatever grinding machine I had. 
and, and make acorn bread, half flour and half acorn. So, but the flour you'd have to grow too. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a test. Yeah. Well, you could make acorn soup. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, it was an acorn dessert. High protein. Acorn rule. Rule. Oh, that'd be interesting. Oh, you're going to have to put out a book of these recipes. You're going to have to have five yeah. years of this. Yeah. Five years. Take fun. photos. <laughs> yeah. Wow, what a great concept. It really is. Well, people absolutely loved it. Yeah, because it gives you a certain sense of security. Yes, yes. It does. It gives you a certain sense. I can live with nature if yeah. I have to. Yeah. You know? And with brilliant. exactly what I have and nothing more. Yep. It works. And everything is close by. How do the dogs feel about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they go <laughs> Where's the meat? <laughs> there was meat because we had oh, lamb man. and a friend of ours has chicken, so we had chicken and beef. And beef, yeah. And yeah. eggs. Yeah. 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 Uh, any local fish? No. No. Yeah. That would have worked though, you know, if somebody wanted to walk, days walk to some lake. <laughs> <laughs> I used to walk all day just to find wild crafted mushrooms. Uh, you know, I know you guys have it just growing. Does it cost very much to set up a mushroom operation? No, not really. Yeah. Well, really? if you do it our way. Yeah, well, when we first started, um, we went to a famous mushroom growers um, conference or Paul's famous? Paul's famous? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know who he is. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> But he said, well, you need to have all this equipment, you need to set up this way, you need to do that. Well, that was to sterilize the environment, right? Well, well, and to sell equipment, I think. I'm not sure, but, you know, we don't believe in spending money you don't have. And so we started doing it in a real healthy way that worked absolutely perfectly for us. I mean, when we first started, we filled pillowcases up with shredded straw and cook them in meat cookers and now we've progressed to a much larger um, pressure system. cookers? No, we, yeah, well, 55 gallon barrels and oh. that we maybe run three at a time. Um, and, and what's your heat source? We don't, we don't use heat anymore. We used to use heat and now we just ferment. And That's just it. Uh, you don't always have to listen to the experts. Right. There's yep. Easier ways to do things. We would never know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's just kind of grown with us. I mean, we go down to CVS and buy a humidifier, and we did that for the first four years, yeah. and now we're we progressed to commercial humidifiers. But in the interim, it worked perfectly fine just using a humidifier from the pharmacy. So now, when you have the spores, do you do you we, how do I say, can you grow your own spores or do you have to depend on somebody else? We do not grow our own spores. Um, well, we grow our own spores, we don't need. Yeah, yeah. We don't use our own spores. Um, we get spawn, which is a combination of grain and mycelium. Um, or and, wood chips. Or wood chips and mycelium. And we inoculate with that and we also, um, make masters from that. If, if it's a grain and a mycelium mix, then it's strong enough to make a really good master. And the first 
couple of years of doing that, we had probably 50%, well, the first year, probably 80% contamination relief. And then we probably dropped down wow. to 50%. Wow, that must have been very surprising. You get your first crop and it's contaminated. What was it contaminated with? Oh, it just, it would mold over before we got a crop. Oh, wow. So, you know, you wait through the cycle to see if it's worked, and it didn't work. Because typically you have a, a clean structure for propagating uh, mycelium. And um, that was one thing that Sam said you absolutely had to have. But we just we fooled around for a little while, and now we're probably up to, what you say, 95%? Yeah, we have very little contamination. Almost no contamination. Wow. And we so what's the trick not to have any contamination? No employees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you have to do something that no. you wished your employees did. So no. what is it? No. You wear sterile suits or you... No, we, we just make sure we're really clean. Yeah, we just took a shower and wore clean clothes. Yeah, you know, because I looked in to that house and I said, don't you dare go in there. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have been skinned if you had. <laughs> well, I knew it. I knew this is like, uh, this wasn't for me to be there. <laughs> well, I knew there was, it, it, it couldn't be as complicated as the so-called experts are making it. Because I'd get on the internet and I'd see how they do in Africa, yeah. in Asia. And they're smoking cigarettes, the dogs are everywhere, there's kids running around, they're barefoot, dirt floor, and it's open to the outside, and they're successfully growing mushrooms. So what kind of mushrooms? Same thing we're growing. You're kidding me, really? Yeah, and I'm going, why are we Americans doing all this extra work to make everything oh, yeah, because we Hospital use, sterilization. We use dial soap, <laughs> which kills off all the bacteria. So, once I started looking at how they did it throughout the rest of the world, I wasn't too concerned or scared anymore. Really? Well, yeah. So, we're, we're clean, but we don't go overboard on it. You yeah. know, we don't wear the suits. We don't have sticky mats that we walk on. We don't have a, a clean area that you walk into first. And we don't have all the epifans, the filters, and all that. We don't need it. We split the spawn successfully without any filter or anything. Wow, how many pounds are you producing a year now? Oh, I'm crazy. 3,000 pounds? Yeah. Wow, over a ton. Oh, yeah. yeah. And where do you sell it? Um, all locally. We sell at farmer's market and to several grocery stores and restaurants. What's your biggest seller? Well, the oyster. We produce more oyster than anything else. Yeah. If we could produce just as much lion's mane and shiitake, those would be big sellers too. Though. Yeah. We, we sell out, we don't produce as much as we could sell. Yeah. Which is nice. And you're doing some medicinal mushrooms too? You're growing reishi? Yes. Yes. Have you tried maitake? I tried it twice and it wasn't successful. Yeah. Um, it apparently is really finicky and likes to be by itself. Yep. And so it was difficult. Because, um, well, you know, having wildcrafted those two years, and I'd, I'd walk every day, miles and miles and miles, and come back with my bags of mushrooms, and every time I'd set up a black piece of paper and a white piece of paper, and every mushroom that I put there with a glass bowl. 
because I wasn't fooling around about these. I wanted to know what's poisonous and what's not. Oh. And the only way to do it is with the spores. Mm -hmm. You know, and some spores are white, so you need to have that black paper there, and some spores are black, so you had to have that. Uh, yeah, you had the white paper for the black spores and the black paper for the white spores, and you studied them. But actually, it was that great book, um, what's it called? Wild Edible Mushrooms. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was great because the photos were wonderful, and they had this big poison spectrum thing. And thanks to Alan Muscat, who calls himself the fun guy, <laughs> he, he taught us uh, workshops. Oh, he was so funny, he like all kinds of break dancing, and a great teacher, really great teacher. And that was still is. He actually edits books also, but he, he just walks the Appalachians. And he developed a whole business with, with restaurants in Asheville. Wow. For wildcrafted? For wildcrafted mushrooms. Mm -hmm. You know, now, of course, all these other young people were coming along, and when you take your gun and <laughs> keep your territory. Right. Well, I bet you have a reputation. Yeah, he's yeah. good. He's really good. But, you know, I could just remember. And so my dream was to find my copies, mm -hmm. which is, you know, Hen in the woods, because mm -hmm. I used to find chicken in the woods. I love. Do you ever have you tried growing chicken in the woods? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my That's God! What a delicious mushroom! They really taste like chicken. Huh. They really do taste like chicken, and they produce up to thirty pounds a tree. Wow. And we're talking. They're shelf. They're yeah. shelf mushrooms. Right. You know, like a polypo type thing, and and so but I always wanted to find hen in the woods. So we're up in Fires Creek Wilderness area. My English friend was there, and we're coming down the mountain, and I scream out, stop the car! Because <laughs> we had all these hemlocks for us dying. You know, we had all these insects on the hemlocks. And so I looked over, and there are these stumps there, and there are these huge hen of the woods, you know, all the little feathers, because they really do look like hen's feathers yeah, yeah. coming out. Oh my gosh, I mean, it's been two years I've been looking for them, and I started jumping up and down and dancing, and, and so I bring these big, huge mushrooms down, because I knew they were going to come back the next year to the same place, and so I bring them down, I put them in a bag, and I'm just dancing around, so I go home, and I look up my taki, you know, hen of the woods, all my taki mushroom. The other name for them is Dancing with Joy. <laughs> and the reason they're called Dancing with the Joy because the Japanese emperor would pay for the weight with silver mm -hmm. because they have such health enhancing uh, reishi is a longevity <coughs> but maitake or a health enhancing um, mushroom and that the taste they give to a mushroom soup mm, is yeah. dried up it's amazing so I found that dancing with joy mushroom, and that's exactly what I did, because i have been waiting so long to find them, you know. And then I, I started researching in, you know, because we started buying my taki powder from China, and, uh -huh. you know. And so they're grown in big pits with sawdust. Uh -huh. That's how they do them. They dig big pits. The same thing with ratios. They dig big pits, and they put... Uh, um, different barks and sawdust in them and have layers oh. in there. So you check it out sometime. Yeah, really. 
you know. Of course, you have to keep them damp, like the usual. But um, that's how they do it in China. And you might end up with a, a Lipa. Yeah. Well, I really would try to add one more mushroom. Yeah. Well, see what, you know. Because I know, because I actually, we used to do a lot of shiitakes. And what we did was we set up big, like, trash cans. Mm -hmm. Big, huge bins with water in them. And then, every, you know, once a week, they get put down in the water overnight and pulled out. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then stacked up in layers, you know, so enough air came between. And I found out the secret was you had to bang uh, those yeah. logs. Mm -hmm. You had to actually hit them to cause them, I guess, what would it do? Shock. Stimulate. Stimulate the, the movement. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, you know. Unfortunately, shiitakes are so cheap in the Asian stores. That's the problem, you know. Well, that's how it should be. Yeah. Yeah. But do you cheap? But you sell in restaurants. What shiitakes? Sixteen dollars. Sixteen dollars a pound. Great. That's your price. That's what you get retail. Yeah. That's a great price, eh? Yeah. Twelve dollars for restaurants. That's a great price. Uh, Hugh, did you ever grow shiitake? No. Uh, I had a couple of live on the farm who did. And he was semi-successful. He had been the editor of Murphy's uh, newspaper. Oh, really? He had the chair piece down. And they fired him for something controversial. He did. And so... We're not picking it up, though. Working offshore, he lived at the 